0: profitable path you've been searching for. With unlimited coaching, your success is guaranteed. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there.
1: Marketing takes time and it's not a switch that you can just flip on and say, Oh, sales are down this month. Let's turn on marketing and get some leads. It just doesn't work like that. And so you really want to be in a position where you have options, because what happens is if you try that flip a switch, A, it's really expensive and B, you're mostly going to get unqualified clients. And if you're at the point where you are desperate, to take on business, you're going to say yes to all of the wrong clients because it's money on the table instead of saying yes to the ideal fit.
0: Welcome to the Business Strategy for CPAs podcast, where I help overworked CPAs go down to 40 hours without giving up revenue. My name is Geraldine Carter. My guest today is Matt Banker. Matt, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's good
1: to be here. So for people who don't know, tell us briefly who you are, where you are, and what you do. Yeah. So I have a a small marketing agency, and we specifically work with accounting firm owners, usually ones that are in sort of the B2B space, so monthly accounting services, Yeah, we help them with messaging, design, marketing tactics, all the good stuff that'll help bring you more business. At least that's the idea.
0: So I want to start with a sort of high level today on marketing, just because I think for a lot of accountants, marketing can be this either this thing they know they ought to be doing, but they're not doing and they feel like they should be getting it to it, but they're not quite or they're doing it and they're not seeing the response they would like. And maybe sometimes they feel like they're pouring money down a hole. So before we dig into that, I want to do a high level just on some definitions. So let's just start with some terminology. Tell us about
1: outbound marketing and inbound marketing. These terms... Sometimes people do define them differently. In the last few, I, I mean, last decade or so, this idea of inbound marketing, it was really popularized by HubSpot and some of the the material that they've put out. But the idea is you put content out into the world, and then people find the content and they come to you, they're inbound, and then they get into some sort of funnel, they they opt in or you, you get access to their email address. And then you market to those people who have come inbound. And so it's not very um, – the salesperson only responds to things that come through your contact form. Uh, outbound marketing, uh, it really overlaps with outbound sales. I think there's a very fuzzy line between sales and marketing, especially as things have evolved Good salespeople are more about educating customers these days. Good marketing people are thinking more about um, how this leads to a sale and revenue and not just, you know, brand awareness and things like that. But when I think of outbound marketing, you're trying to get into the feeds or specifically in front of people who don't know about you yet. So inbound, it's a pull activity. You're putting things there for people to come and find. And outbound marketing is more about a push activity where you're making sure your content shows up in front of the people that you want to be speaking to.
0: Okay, so outbound first so that they know about you. Once they know about you and it resonates, then they start to come inbound.
1: Well, let me, let me clarify a little bit. Yes and no. I wouldn't say you should do outbound first because the idea is with inbound is that they find you. you. You're there, but you're not actively putting yourself in front of them. It's that you're just very findable is kind of the idea.
0: Gotcha. Okay, thanks for clarifying. And how about this word organic? Because it's more than just, for those of us crunchy types, more than
1: pesticide-free. <laughs> yes. So the way I think about it is everything costs either time or money in marketing. And organic, it has to do with time because you are posting content or you're creating content and just putting it out there and you're hoping people will find it through. So organic social media is the stuff you write and post and put onto your uh, onto your feed organic content on your website would be blogs, articles, podcast episodes. And then you're, you're hoping for SEO, search engine optimization, to show that content in the feed. And so organically, they're going to find you uh, through that. You're not putting money behind it. You're not paying to be at the top of the list. You're not paying to put it um, on social media.
0: Gotcha. Okay. So if there's organic, then there must be inorganic.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And really the opposite of of organic is paid, right? And so that's that, that other side of the coin is you can post every day, you can publish it on your own website and use SEO techniques, or you can pay Google through Google ads to make sure you show up at the top of the list, or you can pay LinkedIn and Facebook and whatever else to show up in the feeds of people that you that you want to reach. Great. I love it.
0: Okay. So I want to go over to an objection, which might be in the minds of some listeners that are thinking, oh my God, I already have way too much work. The last thing I need to do is to market, to bring more people to me. I don't even have room for more clients.
1: <laughs> yeah. So this is in the accounting sphere right now. Hiring is a huge deal So, and capacity is a huge deal. Now, I'm a marketer. I would like more people to hire me to help with their marketing, but it only makes sense for you to hire a marketer if you have capacity, right? There's no, you don't need more business. Now, if your issue is I don't have enough revenue and profit because I'm busy all the time and I can't do marketing because I'm busy all the time. You have a business problem. You don't have a marketing problem at that point. And so you generally, you need to solve that first. You need to figure out how do we create capacity to do the work in our team through hiring, through better processes. I know, Geraldine, that's that's a lot of what you talk about with your mastermind students and things is is the, the internal processes. Fix that first so that you have the ability or there's a benefit to actually investing in marketing.
0: Yeah, and just to get a little bit more specific on that, I would say fix the business model and less of the actual internal processes, but the idea is the same in order to create capacity so that you have room to do, to figure out who you're marketing to, who you're talking to and work on getting that message out in front of the people that you want it to be in front of. So let's cover some of the people who might be reluctant in terms of thinking that all marketing is a waste of money.
1: Well first that is completely understandable because I over and over again I've worked with clients who have come and and that's exactly what they've said they feel like they've spent tons and tons of money on marketing it hasn't made a difference they're reluctant to spend more but they still have a pain point of but we need more leads and so they feel like the only option is marketing and And there are a lot of different things that you can do when it comes to marketing. Um, So I, I, I totally get that. Um, There are three things that you need to pay for with marketing. You need to pay for good strategy, the labor to like do stuff, create things, design things, and then the distribution. And what I've found is most, most of the time, when people feel like they've wasted a lot of money on marketing, they're missing one of those three elements. Either the strategy was wrong or bad execution. So like a really bad design website or, you know, whatever the emails are really spammy that you're sending out the, the execution of the, that like implementation labor is, is bad, or they just never got around to actually getting it out into the world. Their website looks great. They spent a lot of money on, you know, marketing materials, but then nobody saw it. And so if you're missing one of those three, it's kind of this catch 22 where it feels really expensive but you also didn't invest enough, enough time or money to do the whole thing. And so it was a waste of money. Right. Yet. It's like you've got to do the whole thing and do the whole thing well in order for it to work. Yeah. Do or do not, there is no middle ground there, to try. There's no in between. <laughs> yeah, Do or not do, there is no try. Yes. Yeah.
0: So where do you think in those three things, strategy, labor, and distribution, where do you think they're most commonly... Which of those are perhaps more than one? Do you think they're most commonly missing?
1: Mm. I think that the the thing they're most commonly missing is the e- either end, the strategy or the distribution. The problem or the challenge is marketing is expensive, right? And I said, you know, you can spend money or time. Those are, you have either, either option. And so the way that they miss out on the distribution is that they spend money on a strategy or um, a mastermind or a conference or a, you know, a book or I don't know, they do not, I guess the book is more of the time, but they spend the money and then they get to the distribution and someone says, oh, well, you're going to need to either put a lot of time into getting this out every week. And an owner says, well, I I don't have time for social media. Like I don't want to do it. Um, Or you spend money on the ads or whatever to get it out there. But it feels like they've already invested so much. Why, why do I have to spend more money? So that's how that happens. On the other end, a lot of folks don't take a step back before they start and they just, uh, some vendor shows up on their doorstep or gets introduced to them and says, hey, SEO is gonna change your firm. And so you just need to invest $3,000 a month with us on SEO. Well, that might be fine, but if you end up driving a lot of traffic, like I had one client who who was getting a ton of traffic for a blog post on where's my Illinois tax return? Um, and that just, you know, a lot of people were looking for that, but none of them were their ideal clients. But this SEO company was really focused on traffic, you know, not not necessarily well, uh, like high intent traffic. They just, their, their metrics were the wrong strategy. It was about getting more and more traffic to the site, but had very little to do with what was the intent and whether it was going to turn into a, a customer for them. So
0: we're wandering into some of the predictable mistakes that accountants might make when it comes to their marketing, and I hesitate to even use the word mistake just because mistakes are part of the learning process. But anyways, what are some of the most common sort of predictable mistakes that you see accountants making when it, beyond just the strategy, labor and distribution, what are some of the more common mistakes that you see them making?
1: Really the the most common one I see is uh, they undervalue their website um, or they spend money sending good traffic to a bad website. So you're you're spending money on ads or SEO or other things, but your website is not designed and isn't positioning you correctly for the clients that you want and to do a lot of the sales work that you need your website to do. Accounting firm owners generally are not designers or I know this is like big stereotypes. There, there are some who have a great like Understanding of of design and creativity and all that, but as a whole, it's not an industry known for aesthetic. Yeah, broadly speaking. Yeah, broadly speaking. So, so what you think of as a as a good website, um, you should you may want to talk to someone who who maybe has a little bit more experience in the web design world. Think about it this way: if you are if you're in sales, right, and you show up to a sales call in an ill fitting, old ratty suit. It says nothing about your ability to do the job, but it makes a huge impression on the person that you're talking to. Their expectations of what kind of person firm you represent um, has changed because of what you're wearing. Your website is like, that suit for you, right? Your website, even people who are being referred to you are going to your website before they get on the phone with you. And so whatever you're communicating there is really influencing a lot of their first impression of who and what you are. And so I think a lot of accounting firms undervalue that even if they primarily grow through word of mouth. Now, I I recognize me sitting in this seat as a person who designs a lot of websites for accounting firms has a little bit of a bias here. You know, it sounds like maybe I'm trying to sell you something, but it's a so so I'm just going to put that as a caveat. But really, like getting that right um, is such an important piece of the puzzle. And you almost shouldn't do any other marketing activities before your website is in good order. It doesn't have to be huge. It doesn't have to hit like super high design thresholds, but it does have to hit like a professionalism, a modern mobile optimized, you know, it has to load quickly, all of that. And then the other really key piece is the words that are on your website need to be right. Um, the messaging, the positioning, making sure that you're communicating who your ideal client is, what kind of work you do, because you also want your website to qualify the people that you're talking to. So if you don't want, you know, hundreds of tax only clients in March, you know, as if that's not your ideal client, um, most people who land on an accounting firm's website, they're looking for tax help. Um, But if that's not who, if you're not looking for individuals um, to to do taxes for, your messaging needs to be really clear about who you do serve and how you're going to help them.
0: So what are some words that would appear on an accounting website that we're not going to attract the desirable clientele.
1: If you think about a website, the first thing you see, that first page, we call that the the hero section, and you need to answer three questions almost immediately. You need to be able to say what what do you do? How is it going to make my life better? And how do I get it? Those are the three questions that you need to answer. And so, I like to think you've got a you've got a headline and a subheadline. The headline is generally a bit more aspirational. Uh, and for most accounting firms, there's one of two messages that you're you're thinking about. One is we either take stuff off your plate. So we we sell freedom, we're giving you more time because we're we're taking those tasks and things off of your plate um, and making business easier for you. Or the other one, which I think is more is better and more compelling, depending on what your focus is, but if you have a good niche, it's that we help you be more profitable. So that's more of an advisory. You're selling the guidance and advisory. So aspirationally, we either take stuff off your plate or we help you make more money. And then underneath that, you've got a sub headline and that subheadline headline needs to say accounting and advisory services for ABC niche or accounting payroll and tax for businesses in San Diego, you know, whatever it is, has to be very clear, this is exactly what we do. And it's almost the type of thing that you would type into Google to find this firm. And then you need to have a button that says schedule a call. A lot of firms will have that button, it'll say, upload a document, or it'll say, it might just even they might have a link in the the top that says contact, but they don't tell anyone, how do you actually get started? How do you what what's the next step? And so, uh, again, what do you do? How are you gonna make my life better? And how do you get it? If you can do that, honestly, like you've, that's like a 60% improvement on almost any accounting firm website if those three things are true about your hero section of your homepage.
0: Okay, so keep big firm capability, small town personality out of the
1: header. 100%, Uh, I see a lot of clever ones, you know, like you can count on us. Or um, you know your numbers, our strength, our team—you know that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. It's fuzzy. It's ambiguous. It doesn't—it doesn't tell me how my life's going to be better. It doesn't tell me actually what you do. It's just—it's kind of referencing numbers, is the so that's 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 a mistake.
0: You said a minute ago that many or some accountants will undervalue their website, and some of them will think, "But all my business comes from referral, anyways." So can you address some more of the common ways they might be undervaluing the website? Like what else is valuable about the website, even if they get a lot of referral business?
1: Yeah. The problem with referral business is it's, it's unpredictable and there's very few levers that you can pull in order to get more business from referrals. Uh, you can ask your, you can email your, your clients and see if they know anyone, but there's not much that you can do when you need it um, with referrals. And so part of the reason to have a, a good website and a strong online presence is marketing takes time. And it's not a switch that you can just flip on and say, oh, sales are down this month, let's turn on marketing and get some leads. It just doesn't work like that. And so if your website, you really wanna be in a position where you have options, it'd be great, right? If you were turning away all of the bad fit clients, because what happens is if you try that flip a switch, A, it's really expensive, and B, you're mostly gonna get unqualified clients. And if you're at the point where you are desperate, to take on business, you're gonna say yes to all of the wrong clients because it's money on the table instead of saying yes to the ideal fit clients. And so I would very much encourage any firm, even if you primarily grow through referral, do some of the little work to set yourself up for when you do want to take on more or you wanna flip a switch. You know, it goes back to sending good traffic to a bad website. If you have a good website, and it's been established, you do now have the option to throw some money at things like Google ads or social media, you know, those sorts of things, and you have a better chance of that being effective if the website is already set up before you get to that point.
0: I couldn't be a bigger proponent of having a website that you're confident in that says the right things to your buyers. It's so helpful in terms of attracting the right people and filtering out the not right people. How well do you think accountants communicate the value
1: that they can provide Mm. i mean short answer not very well uh it kind of goes back to the main messaging most most accountants they think that well okay there are there are felt needs and there are real needs um a lot of accountants that i work with the things that their clients say they love is you know, this person is always there to answer questions. They're incredibly helpful. They've given me great guidance on my business. And then when you go to their website, what it says is, "We get the numbers right." I should hope you get the numbers right. <laughs> right, that's, that's like table for. stakes, right? And so they they think though, like that's not a compelling message. They're not selling the real value yeah. that they that they offer. Um, most people, so most all companies, accounting firms especially, they sell solutions to external problems. Like we do your books, we run your payroll, we like do your taxes. Those are all like, yes, people need need someone to help them with those things. Those are all external problems that you're solving. People buy solutions to internal problems. They buy peace of mind. I don't have to worry about if I get audited, I know who I'm gonna talk to. I don't have to worry that I'm missing out on uh, opportunities to save, you know, on my taxes. I don't have to worry about compliance. All of those sorts of like you're you're taking that emotional weight off of their shoulders as a business owner. That is much more valuable than we do your taxes. But most firms are not communicating that kind of message through their website. They're just, they're communicating table stakes. And so it's undifferentiated, it's not compelling. And so they're essentially left to compare you to something else based on price, to be honest. If you're not solving emotional problems, the question is, okay, well, I guess how much is it going to cost?
0: Yeah. She's on time for meetings is not a compelling reason. (laughs) So let's, since we're on websites, since we're on websites, let's talk about email list and having an email opt-in and growing an email list. Compared to social media, organic ads, and SEO, where do you think having an email list fits into that progression?
1: A... Email is great. You should always be trying to build your email list. Um, the The challenge with email is it's a later stage marketing tactic, and so right they already know about you. You're using your email list to help someone, you know, like and trust you. Um, the two challenges are a it's it's hard to get people onto your email list, and so unless you are positioned your have positioned yourself as. An advisor or an expert within a specific industry, there's very little reason for anyone to join your email list. Um, two, you have to provide actual value with your email, uh, what, what you're sending to people, because we all hate being on, we're, we all get too many emails. That's the answer, right? And so if you're not, if you don't have the credibility and the expertise to be helpful in your email list, people won't stick around or they won't read it. And then the third thing is that opt-in piece is so important, we are seeing a fairly significant drop in the ability of those, you know, pop-up forms or email opt-ins to get people to sign up. And and this is as a person who does this kind of work for my clients. um, In a lot of cases, I've actually stopped uh, saying, hey, let's write an ebook or a PDF white paper because the opt in rates are so low. And so you really want to think about what is the thing that is actually valuable to my customers or my prospects that would make them want to get onto my list. Um, I've actually seen somewhat more success with selling your email list as the value proposition itself. I mean, the more niched you are, the better. So if you're if you're saying, "Hey, we are writing business advice for uh, architecture firms every week um, in our in our email list," that's more compelling than seven ways an architecture firm can save on taxes. You know, some, something like that is we're 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 moving beyond the clickbaity t- titles being effective. Uh, this is that's my perspective, at least. Gotcha. Okay, and you said it's a later
0: stage thing. And it's hard to grow. So that makes it sound not tempting. So why is it valuable?
1: <laughs> yeah. So it, it kind of goes back to growing your audience. So when I say later stage, what I'm what I'm thinking about, there, there's there's really like two major phases of marketing. So there's what we call demand capture and then demand creation. So demand capture is a later stage, which is now that someone knows, likes, trusts, is aware that there's a problem, thinks that you could be a solution. Now you've got someone in research mode, right? And so if you get someone onto your email list who's in research mode, or even in like awareness mode, they know that they have a problem, but they're not ready to buy, your email list can do a good job of getting them like through through that funnel. Um, but they already have to have, they already have to know about you. And so the big the other thing that marketing is is supposed to be doing is getting more people to know about you. Uh, and, and so something else needs to happen to get them onto your email list. And so if you're not doing any of the other stuff to be known, your email list is never going to grow and it's not going to get people on like into that funnel in in the first place. It's one of the things that, how would I say this? so. There are non-marketing reasons that you should be writing emails every week. Um, I think growing your own credibility, understanding how you think, having a better point of view, a stronger voice in your niche or industry, all of those are beneficial for you as, as an expert. And they don't have to do with marketing. And, but if you're writing an email list, then, hey, that's a great spot to, to be practicing that. Uh, The other thing about email lists is if you have a defined niche, you may be able to join an association that provides you with an email list of your ideal customers. Uh, Now, I want to be really careful about that because you want to make sure that you shouldn't just go and buy an email list and add people to it. But there are opportunities where if you're part of an association and the expectation is because your ideal clients go to this conference or are part of this association, They'll be on email lists for vendors. A, that's not illegal. <laughs> like that, it, it, You have to, you have to have a light touch with that because you can, you know, just kind of piss people off um, in that way. But that's another way to grow uh, an audience uh, potentially is through places where they're already gathered. I love it. I would love to see and welcome
0: more accountants and CPAs writing expertise, like deep specific expertise on certain topics. By contrast, or compared to the calendar of quarterly estimated tax payments and when they're due,
1: one of the issues, just in general, right now, is there. There's simply too much noise in the marketplace. A lot of the marketing materials that are that are targeted and available for accounting firms, it, it's like content farms, and it's the the lowest common denominator content you know, people, they're providing content for your blog or to send to your email list, but it's, it's written for everybody. It's generalist and no one cares about it, to be honest. Yeah. And so eight
0: deductions, you might be missing. Yeah.
1: I, I get all those emails. I ignore everyone. I'm a business owner. I'm the ideal target market for a lot of these um, firms. I don't, I'm just not going to read it. It's there's too much noise. What I really want is someone who has specific expertise that applies to me. So there's a few email lists that, I follow of I so I do marketing for accounting firms the two people that I follow do accounting for marketing firms right or you know that's that's what i that's what i care about and so i will read those emails because they're able to tell me things like what should your average uh like billable rate as a marketing firm be what is your overhead versus production labor you know very specific numbers are very helpful to me but eight deductions i might be missing is not helpful at all
0: yeah you're reading from people who have very specific expertise that is highly valuable to you. Yes,
1: the more specific, the more valuable. And if you're if you're an accounting firm or and trying to build credibility in the space, you need to be thinking about that as well. Now, I don't know. I'm sure this is a question that comes up in in the folks you talk to. We've talked a lot about um, your niche. In your experience, that process of choosing a niche. Do you you think of that as more of a business model thing? I, I think of it somewhat also as as a marketing tactic or process. How do you? This is me flipping it around now. You know, asking you questions when it comes to that niching. Um, is that some? I I think it's something that sort of comes before marketing, but it's often part of the process of what we do is help people articulate this niche uh space that they are positioning that they've that they've chosen
0: so okay so i'll take the mic and answer the question
1: <laughs> yeah so <laughs>
0: I couldn't be a bigger proponent of niching, especially for accountants. It's so incredibly helpful in that it makes the delivery of your services much easier, much more efficient, much more predictable, higher value, better results, more consistent results, easier to delegate to your team. It makes your discovery conversation so much more easy because you can communicate the value so much more readily. It makes your marketing much stickier. You actually get people commenting, engaging on your stuff rather than just getting a like or two or a thumbs up or a smile. And otherwise it just feels like you're marketing into a void. It makes countless, niching makes countless things in your business so much easier. With my clients, one of the very first things that we do is get them more tightly positioned. Maybe not choosing a niche that's way too specific for where they are, but just taking the next step in getting more specific. And it's a process of simply taking one step at a time of getting more specific and carving off clients who no longer fit the direction for where you want to go. One of the things that I see, and I'm curious to ask you about this, is pretend niching, where they niche only in marketing as a sort of facade, but don't do it in practice inside their business. And it's just a way to have like a landing page for the physicians and talk about physician problems and then have a landing page for the real estate people and talk about the real estate problems and then have a landing page for the web designers and talk about the web design problems. But in practice, inside the business, inside the accounting firm, they're still doing all things for all people. So I'm wondering if you see that and um, what you find with that.
1: Yeah, I do see it a lot. Um, I think that's basically an SEO tactic. I don't think it's true niching. Um, and I I can even use myself as an example. I have gone to Google and I've looked for, you know, accounting firms for marketing agencies and I land on all those pages. Um, but I'm, but we have very, people have very sensitive BS meters and they know when it's real or when it's not. And so I know when I'm on a landing page versus when I'm on like the actual, you know, expert. Uh, for that industry. And so I don't think they work that well. Uh, They might work well from an SEO standpoint, but I don't think they work very well converting people into clients. Um, And for all the reasons you mentioned, niching isn't just a marketing ploy. It is is something that's beneficial to the business. Now, I'll give people a little bit of an off-ramp here. What I would rather see is so let's go back to that homepage. You land on the homepage, the image is, is correlated with the niche that you've chosen. The headline very specifically says, we work with ABC industry. The button says, schedule a call. And then underneath it, it says, not a architecture firm. Right. Not a construction company. Yeah. yeah. Click on, you can click on that link. It goes to a page that says, our, our primary focus is ABC niche. But we, but we also have some clients in other areas, or you know, we, we've been around for a long time, and and we have other clients. So it gives you an off ramp to say, I mean, there's always this worry. I don't think it really matters, but there's worry that you know, oh, our current clients, who are very broad, uh, are going to see our website and and get upset or or worried that we've that we've narrowed our niche. So this is like an easy, like, mm-hmm. partial. Shift. I would much rather see that sort of approach. Like we've chosen, I like to think of it as you've got a target, which is very narrow, and then you've got a market, which is a little bit broader. So, target is here's who we're after, market is here's who we will work with. And then, and that's often your current clients or maybe a referral that's not in your niche that you want to work with for some reason. And then there's not in our market. You have to know who is not in your market. You have to know who your target is. And then you have a little bit of a slice of folks that you can talk to or, or work with that maybe aren't your ideal target, but still fit your business model.
0: I love that. That's really helpful for people who are in the sort of thinking about niching, but it feels like a commitment, right? It feels like you're jumping off a cliff or you're at the precipice and it's kind of scary to jump. And it gives you the nice off-ramp or on-ramp into your niche either way to not feel like it's a hundred, like it reduces the fear factor around being super specific when people are not quite ready to just go all in yet. So a couple more questions here before we wrap up. At what point might accounting firms think about paid advertising,
1: both online and or in print? Yeah, after your website.
0: Yeah, okay, <laughs>
1: yeah, after your website, Great. Uh, So as far as timing, when you would want to do paid advertising, you need to have a solid foundation first. Um, and so having that website, understanding your positioning, knowing your audience. Uh, for accounting firms, um, I love LinkedIn. Because you can, if you are going to do paid, LinkedIn is more expensive, but if your niche is on LinkedIn and not every single, you know, business type is, is well represented there, but especially anything in the professional services or tech or is very, there's a lot of people there. If you're going to do paid advertising, you can target on job title, location, company size, revenue, all of these things that you can get in front of a very narrow niche. Um, now I will I take a perspective of paid advertising especially on LinkedIn as guaranteed distribution of great content not as like poster board buy now you know from us because that's not how people buy accounting services it's very relational they need to know like and trust you but you can use that as a way to get the content that is going to get people to know like and trust you in front of the right eyeballs. And then having a point of view is going to make a lot more sense when you have a strong perspective that you're bringing so that content is compelling and interesting and relevant, that's going to work a lot better than just, you know, running those buy now type ads. So you have to be fairly established in the direction you're going and the niche that you've chosen before that is going to make sense from like a social media paid standpoint. The other way people usually pay for for ads is with Google search. There is that's an that's probably an earlier tactic. You either are going to run ads around accounting firm near me if you're a more generalist firm or you're going to run ads around a very specific Keyword, which is the industry that you serve. It's not a bad idea to turn those on fairly early, especially if you don't yet rank very well organically for the terms and the industries that you want to focus on. It's not, that's not the most expensive thing because there's not that many people searching for Accounting for architecture firms, Um, but you can and you can pretty clearly find out what is the what's the going to be the cost per click and then the cost per conversion for that Uh, you should expect to be spending, you know, you're going to spend 10 to $30 a click potentially for, you know, accounting for architecture firm. But if that's a super, super qualified lead and let's say, you know, one out of three fill out your contact form because it's a super qualified lead. Now you're looking at $100 per meeting. That's that's a pretty decent return. You know, if you could spend, I, I, every accounting firm I know would say, if I could spend $100 to get a meeting with a qualified lead, that's that's totally worth it. That only works if you have a really narrow and clarified niche. And, and, and I mean, that number even, people would spend $500 to get a meeting with a super qualified lead, if they know that's going to be a seven or 10 year relationship at, you know, $1,000 a month, right? I mean, I think of
0: a lot of the people I work with have a silver level package around the $1,500 mark, which is $18,000 a year, which for simple rounded math is $60,000 for three years, if you have that client and to spend a hundred (laughs) bucks. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to get a client who's going to bring in sixty grand at a forty percent, let's just say revenue margin. Yeah. Maybe you're looking at twenty four. Right. Like that seems like a reasonable ROI.
1: Now the the problem is you you're not going to be able to pay hundred dollars per lead and just yeah, yeah, scale yeah. that exponentially. Totally, right? Yeah, There's yeah, a, yeah that course. It could be a you might get one every two months or something like that. But that's why you might want to run a Google camp Google Ads campaign for that specific keyword niche.
0: Right. And you'd be spending a lot more than just the $100. But yes, like,
1: probably. Especially in the testing phase, it's going to take some some time to figure out what works.
0: Yeah. So let's talk uh, real money in the last few minutes that we have here, because that was um, perhaps a an unrealistic brushstroke of the picture. It can be easy to get sucked into the, oh, I don't want to spend money, and it feels like it's being a waste. But if you think about how much net profit or revenue however you want to measure it that client's going to bring in then it becomes much more compelling can we just talk numbers and money and how much money a firm might think about investing in their marketing if they were say at 500k or a million or 2 million or 5 million
1: or even 250k so first of all The reason marketing feels expensive is that accounting firms have often not actually budgeted for it or it's not calculated into their business model. It's like a separate line item or at the beginning of the year, they say, oh, yeah, we want to spend $5,000 on marketing this year. It's not tied to their revenue in any way. And so at like a base level, you want to be thinking about something in the range of 10% of your revenue, your total revenue going back into marketing. And so that if that means you need to raise your fees by 10% in order to have a marketing budget, I would start by looking at that. Because as long as it's not budgeted in and, ca- and correlated with your revenue, it's going to feel like this huge expense. And as a marketing person, I'll just go back to saying marketing is expensive. You're either going to pay money or you're gonna pay time if you want to do it. And so you can do that trade-off, but most firm owners want more time, especially you know on your show, Geraldine, right? You're trying to work less. Um, don't set yourself up to need to spend tons of time on marketing because you're not willing to spend some of the money. For the CPA
0: who has an advisory um, silver tier around 1500, like for just for super simple math, 18 grand a year, 60,000, like how much would you imagine You know, you said like 10 to 30 bucks a click and you get a third of them, you're looking at a hundred bucks. But that's not the whole picture clearly i missed something in there because if you were getting spending a hundred bucks to get 60 grand people would be spending as much money as they could on that so yes. fill in the rest of the gaps that i didn't include in the in that picture
1: the other thing you need to remember with marketing is you you're paying for three things right so you're paying for strategy labor and distribution and so when we say oh that might be a hundred dollars per per click now these are these are these are very optimistic numbers. If you're getting you know a, a very qualified lead, and say you're getting a 30% fill out rate, you know for that form, that's a very that's a very good return. And so it, it would be unrealistic, I think, for you to go into marketing thinking that's what you're going to get, especially because you need to pay someone who knows how to run ads really effectively for you. That's like that strategy piece. And they're gonna have a team that's gonna set up the ads and optimize them, and you're gonna pay a monthly fee to an agency to do that as well. And so all of those things then lead to, now we have to pay Google for the actual clicks, right? And so there's multiple pieces that you're paying for. That's why I I like to start with that 10% number Another way to think about it is like what would you what would you pay today to get uh, a new client and make sure that that number is realistic? Now I, I know a lot of firms, bigger firms grow through acquisition and they might they might acquire another firm for like 1.2x annual revenue. Um, and those are not even qualified clients. A lot of times they lose some of those clients and so that number can go higher. But by my math, what that means is, you know, they would pay $18,000 a year (laughs) for a client in an acquisition, um, but they only wanna spend $500 a year or a month on marketing. And, And those numbers are so out of whack. Whereas if you could take that budget that you were thinking you would spend on an acquisition and think of it in marketing terms, the numbers that you're willing actually to spend to get a new good qualified client should be a lot higher. And now you have better, you have more money to spend on a good strategist, on a great website, on qualified clicks, on a podcast, or, a, a, you know, a blog that is like actually valuable. Now you're talking about like the real investment it takes to have a marketing engine that really works, you know, for what you're trying to do.
0: That is so interesting one way to grow is to acquire a bunch of clients by buying them another option is to take all that money and invest it into marketing and get exactly the kinds of clients that you want rather than buying the whole kit and caboodle and then high grading and dumping whatever you don't like this is so interesting we're going to have another conversation but we're up against time if people want to find you or connect with you or i think you have some templates
1: how can they avail themselves of these things? Yeah. So my website, it's very easy to remember, marketingforaccountingfirms.com. And if you go to marketingforaccountingfirms.com slash templates, there'll be some free email templates that our copywriters, you know, professional marketers have written and are available for firm owners to use in some of their communications and, and marketing. It's a good introduction to some of the work that we do.
0: Matt Banker. This has been so fabulous. Thank you for coming on the Business Strategy for CPAs podcast.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Hi again. Would you rather spend your weekends outside playing or at your desk? In Down a 40 Hours CPA Mastermind, we put an end to overworking while maintaining revenue. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there.